Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School, and I'm Andrew, and today we have a very special guest star, Matt Blasey. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so as the title of the video you clicked on already will um, imply, we're doing a video about the five Blair Witch Project comics done by Oni, and yeah, I figure if I'm going to have someone on, you know, why not have the guy who literally wrote the book about the Blair Witch Project? <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was an undertaking, and... I'm still sad it's over. You know, I, I, I miss I miss living in that world every day. Exactly. But, you know, it's a great book. You know, highly recommend. We'll drop the Amazon link or wherever link you want it to be um, in the description below. Highly recommend checking it all out for anyone who's a fan of the Blair Witch Project, obviously. I mean, I guess if you hate it, don't buy it. But why are you <laughs> clicking on this video? Um, and, yeah, it's just great looking at that um, film and, like, the craziness making it. So highly recommend it. Yeah, even if you don't like it, I, I one of the reasons I wrote it, I said, I love independent film. And obviously Blair is a highly independent film that that made it big. Why not look at what they did and say, oh, I could go do that. I mean, everyone can be a filmmaker now on their phone. So I was kind of hoping that maybe it would spark some interest in a filmmaker to go out and make their own independent film masterpiece or at least get their own film done because I want to see everyone succeed with filmmaking. And this was just kind of my way of giving back since I've never been able to actually make one myself. I at least wanted to contribute back to those who gave so much enjoyment to, to the masses and to myself. And it's just kind of what I'm hoping with that. Yeah. Yeah. The history of that movie and the making of it is insane. You know, it was the little movie that could that, you know, cost a couple grand to make <laughs> and then, you know, made a quarter of a billion dollars. Um, yeah. When I did my video with um, Ed talking about it, again, link below, you know, it was crazy when I looked up the box office for that year. It's like, you look, there were a lot of big movies in 99 and it's still in the top 10. You know, when you have Phantom Menace, Toy Story 2 and a bunch of other movies coming out and you can still be in the top 10 for that. That is an amazing um, yeah. feat. So. Yeah, it was Star Wars and Blair Witch in 1999. Those were the two two movies that just dominated the pop culture and the box office and it's one of my favorite years of movies. I love when I'm like, oh, that was made in 99. Oh, that was such a great year. So it kind of endears me to most of the films released that year. Exactly. It was a good year. So, but with a lot of pop culture being generated around it, that includes these comic books. Yes, physical media is not completely dead in my apartment. Picked them up. They're a great read, so... Yeah, basically these were printed by Oni Comics. They did um, five comics, one um, off one shot, and then four in the Cro Blair Witch Chronicles, um, which were original, completely original stories. Um, they had a lot of great talent behind them, including artists Tommy Lee Edwards, Guy Davis, Tom Fowler, and Bernie Merlot, I think is how you pronounce it. I can't find a pronunciation. Um, yeah, these guys went on to do Batman, Daredevil, Fantastic Four, Hellboy, and you know, tons of others. Jen Van Meter wrote all of them. She would later go on to write for Wolverine, Spider-Man, Punisher, The Avengers, Captain America. So it's like these had a lot of talent behind them. And, you know, I guess we'll um, get into talking about them one by one. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. So the first off was the um, one shot standalone, which, you know, looked into the already existing stories of um, Ellie Kedward's origin Robin Weaver and Coffin Rock, and then finally Rustin Parr. So we eased into just kind of looking at slightly different angles from these already explored stories. 
Yeah, I so to be honest, when I have not read these since they came out, they've they've been in their bags and boards for 21, almost 22 years now. And I I mean, I bought them because they were Blair Witch. I mean, why not? You know, adaptations, you know, are usually pretty fun. And and these I, I had totally forgotten what they were about. I knew they were expanding on the mythology i i couldn't remember the the initial standalone one i was like what was in this so it was it was like reading them for the first time again and i was i was surprised by the 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 one just titled the blair witch project because it it did just kind of expand on some of the stories we heard about and curse of the blair witch and and the film proper itself um i the what's on the inside cover it's like a um what do you want to call it a prologue yeah it's basically a um they had a framing device which we'll get into how that evolved as the different ones came out but they are still maintaining the blair witch herself the legend is real yeah and this was all based on a like self-published comic called wood witch said written Mm -hmm. by a guy who went crazy in the 80s uh, which I found like a little weird. I think the typical thing would have been this is based off of a police report, but I guess you know, hey, it's a comic book, you know, do that. Yeah, he. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. I just I I had to read it a few times. I'm like, have I missed something? Because it was it was like kind of diving back into the world again of the Blair Witch Project, and I I read it a couple of times. I'm like, have I always missed this? I was like, I didn't remember anyone saying anything about this, so it took me a minute to. Kind of, I was like, oh, there were, you know, it's world building, and like you said, it it takes place in the world as if the Blair Witch was real, uh, and it was interesting, like you said, because we always see stuff based off police reports or or one off stories. So it was an it was a nice, interesting take uh, that I haven't I haven't remembered reading, but it was it was nice. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because you know. Um... The Rustin Parr one, I think, is, like, the weakest part of it because they didn't really do much with it. You know, Burkittsville 7 obviously expanded upon the Parr mystery a lot more. So there, I don't think they got to tap into. It was under Parr, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was still very interesting. But, yeah, I mean, with Robin Weaver, we're getting the, you know, you know, she was actually the one who did all the killings at Coffin Rock, which was, you know, interesting seeing, you know, down the line, Kyle Brody is implied to have done that in Burkittsville 7. So, you know, turning that on the ear from Robin Weaver being like a helpless child to a mur- cold-blooded murderer. That was probably the biggest surprise I got out of this issue. I was reading it and I was like, oh, I see what they did. That's really neat. And you know, I, I don't like to consider myself a purist and say if it wasn't said in Curse of the Blair Witch or the dossier, it didn't happen. But I like the fact that it's never been talked about. No one would have suspected a young girl of of doing of causing the travesty at Coffin Rock. And that was actually that ended up being my favorite story in in the issue. Yeah, just because it, it caught me by surprise and I kind of didn't know where it was going. You start reading, I'm like, okay, it's the Robin Weaver story and this, and then you know she's going to come upon the the search party already disemboweled on Coffin Rock, so that was that was probably the high point of the issue for me. Yeah, and I like how we also with the Ellie Kedward, so yeah, we're working backwards in it. Uh, it was Ellie Kedward, then Rob, and then Rustin Parr. They went chronological, but um, I like the Ellie Kedward because you know it, that was always I'm the same way with you. Like I'm not like a, it has to be a purist. I did like the Robin Weaver 
um, story, but I like how we finally got a real deep look into Ellie, and I like how it's from a the different perspective that she's almost like she had a curse on her, but the witch, the woods were already evil, and it used her, her as like a giant battery essentially to propagate its you know evilness further. Yeah, that was I. I did like that that she she came to America already feeling like she was cursed and and it followed her and in the witch or whatever the entity is whatever we want to call it, I guess we'll say witch because we're talking about the first film. Um, really is like oh there's someone I can manipulate or someone I can attach myself to to do what I want, and it ended up making her the scapegoat and yeah. making made her basically the. I don't want to say poster child, but it made her the face of whatever evil entity is surrounding, you know, Burkittsville and the former town of Blair and the Black Hills. So that was, again, it, it was it was fun to go back and read these as if I read them for the first time, because it kind of it shows you how well you can expand a, a world without changing the foundation of what drew people to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's definitely, you know, I think it reminds me, especially, like, as we get into these, you know, these are folklore. Like, and this is, I think, what a lot of found footage or movies or movies that try and portray something as really happening fail at that Blair Witch Project was very successful at was these are folklore that people remember or tell in different ways. You know, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but in the offering one, you know, it's like, that's what I like about it is, like, you know, you can ask... 10 different people and they'll tell you 10 different versions of what it is because it's a small town it's like you know how many times have you heard variations of the hook on the car handle you're like oh the kids were dead or oh you know they were perfectly fine or you know they, whatever that there's multiple variations from town to town that so it's interesting to see okay well in this version ellie was a pawn who you know didn't who didn't do anything wrong you know it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of like i gotta get away from people because they're gonna think i'm a witch and but because i got away from people they think i'm a witch versus curse of the blair which plays it up as and most other interactions or iterations portray it as she was a witch she's still mm -hmm. present so i thought that was an interesting that that early on we're looking at what if something else is in the woods before her Kind yeah, I, I, yeah, I kind of think that's kind of been expanded on after the film with subsequent movies and, you know, the hunt a killer, hunt a killer um, game. It, it's really taking it as those woods have always been cursed and no one knows for how long or where it came from, but it, it, it picks things and it, it all goes back to Ellie, which tends to be the, the starting point for all of all of those old stories and I, I go back and forth on whether or not I like that. I guess it depends on how it's done because I was so engrossed in 1999 with, you know, there's this, you know, this old woman and she's, you know, she was cast out of the, the town for being a witch and, and she's come back to haunt them. And, you know, it's kind of grown over time that maybe it's the woods themselves and in the woods, man manifest himself through a catalyst like an ellie kedward or or someone to to continue whatever its purpose is i like i said as long as it's done to where it's not retconning i guess to use a comic book term trying to retcon what what ed and dan had built with that world with ben rock and everything i i think it's a great 
thing, like you said, it, it's a folklore, it's a story and someone told a story and it's gone down generations and, you know, things get changed, things get forgotten. And I always felt that these were maybe someone's diary that these stories are based on or, or someone, you know, heard the legend of Ellie Kedward this way. Well, I heard that she really wasn't a witch and the woods are haunted. And that's just kind of how I approached yeah. those stories. Yeah, no, and I definitely think, um, you know, some people could take umbrage with this because, you know, you could say, like, it technically is retconning if we're supposed to believe that the C.C. Maveley um, was directly told by the witch. This is, you know, like, the true story. So it's like, oh, well, the witch is telling her true, or Ellie Kedward is telling her true story. It's like, or, you know, the witch could be fucking with her, or he could be <laughs> fucking crazy. That it's like, even when supposedly stuff is set in stone, we don't know. Like, yeah, again, it could just be, you know, it's, we'll get into it with some of these other ones. I feel like they were um, playing up that the witch was a little bit more of a trickster than what we saw in the um, original movie. So who knows? Maybe she's just fucking with this poor guy. And it's like, yeah, I, I was an evil witch, but I'm going to make it, you know, maybe to draw people in like, oh, I'm a sympathetic person. You know, mm -hmm. Like lull them into a false sense of security type thing. Yeah, there's lots of that in, in, in this story. It's... And, and like you said, we'll, we'll go into it, but yeah, it's, it starts out, everything seems pretty innocent and straightforward. And then it starts to unravel as, as we get deeper and deeper into each one of these issues, which again, I didn't, I didn't mind them. I thought, I thought a few of those were a lot stronger than the others. And a lot of the stories were more engaging. Uh, but I mean, that's with any comic series. And especially when you're dealing with someone's take on a legend that someone else created, you're, you're going to find things you like, and, and they're going to put their own spin on it exactly and you know that's like it's i don't think any of these are like truly bad comics it's just like yeah they're either really great or just meh like retellings of the Blair yeah Witch. yeah you know i think that's the thing that even like the worst stuff about this franchise like is still like better than like a lot of other like horror movies or horror content i've seen it's like yeah it's like book of shadows isn't that great but also i've seen a lot worse horror movies out there <laughs> I'm going to take a sip of coffee on that one. <laughs> on to the next issue. The Chronicles uh, episode one ends up being about two brothers. Uh, one brother is really interested in this girl, Peggy. And she's kind of going out with this, you know, stereotypical jock. Um, and he really wants her and they decide to go out after hearing that he's basically going to get her drunk and take advantage of her. Uh, they want to go scare her. And of course, it's in the Black Hills and, and they find out where they're going to go and, and lie to their mom about going to camp. And when they get out there, they scare them and they run away and say, well, we still have to camp or, you know, people are going to suspect something. And they end up coming across their bodies. Uh, the guy is hung upside down and disemboweled and they find out that, that Peggy has been scalped, basically. Uh, and they decide they're going to run off and join the army. And, and the one brother changes his mind about staying. They were going to stay. And then he wakes up the next morning and, and he goes away. And it, it's kind of told that the brothers are still together later in life. And they're kind of recounting their, their stories to, I don't know, a, a PI or a, a newspaper reporter or something. Um, and they start talking about all these weird things that are happening. Um, the, the brother that joins the army, he starts losing teeth, but they're not his um he's the other he starts coughing up bones 
uh, and they find a, a class ring and a locket in the stomach of their mother after she passes. And it, it's revealed that, you know, the, the one brother that's wearing an eye patch, it's, it's supposedly the witch's eye and she's using it to see through him, which is why he keeps the eye patch on it. And he ends up like cutting it out and be like handing it to, to whomever they're talking to. I, I was, I was intrigued by this. I was like, this is interesting because it's not a possession story. It's not a, a you know, the witch trying to get revenge. It's like you had said earlier, she's kind of using these guys as a pawn for, for coming into her woods. So basically anyone that steps foot in her work in her woods, she's going to do something to them. It's like, she's got a bag of tricks that, that she kind of keeps handy and and says, well, this is what I'm going to do to these guys. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting one. I think it's my um, least favorite because there are certain elements that I thought were just like a little weird. I thought a lot of the um, body horror stuff was starting to become a little gratuitous when you compare it to when you have like the first one where it's like very little, you know, left mm-hmm. in the imagination. Um, but yeah, I thought it was very. Um, the, I did find it horrifying the idea that he's seeing like because he like says like with seeing the eyes like I can see her meaning the girl's, like, death over and over again. Like, the witch is fucking with him, forcing him to watch the girl he loved, like, die over and over again. It's like, that's pretty goddamn horrifying. Now, yeah. Like, you know, I, I did, like, when it got to the point where he, like, cuts the eye out, and like, so nonchalantly. And, like, I love because, like, you know, I don't have to put it up on the screen, but, like, his brother is almost doing, like, a literal face palm. Like, he's like, ah, oh, my brother here, not, like, reacting, like, oh, it's... my God, cut the eye out. But I suppose it could work that it's, like, you're just so done with the witch ruining your life that this is now just like this is whatever. Yeah, it's it's like they've had this secret for you know fifty years yeah. or more, and yeah, yeah. I I I noticed the the facial expression of the brother. He was kind of like basically, I took it as is like he's finally relieving himself of this burden and trying to show someone that it's real because no one would believe him. Yeah, because the framing device with this one is, again, they're talking to the PI, but they mention um, it's in the opening page as well. They're, like, writing a letter saying, like, you know, listen, we want to tell our story. We know no one's going to believe it because these filmmakers. So now we've transitioned from the Blair Witch, everything was completely real, to the movie was fake, that they went in the woods and did, like, you know, a movie about, like, the equivalent, like, going about the Jersey Devil. But the Jersey Devil is, in fact, real. And they're kind of pissed, like, now no one's going to believe our story because those kids in the woods. So I thought that was an interesting shift. And you could see these guys are exasperated, but they also at the same time feel now is the time that they can try and tell it. That it's yeah. worth a shot. Yeah, it's almost kind of like they were shooting themselves in the foot because they're they're showing all this evidence of, of murders from 50 years ago. And it all points to them. And that's and that's kind of a device that the witch uses uh, and, and all the media we've seen is, you know, she makes it seem as if it's your, you know, your fault or you were the one responsible. So I, I kind of caught that and I said, well, that, that was interesting. But, you know, because I know he pulls his eye and he's like, check the DNA, you'll see it's hers. And I'm like, well, that that would be interesting if they had had DNA from Peggy back in the day, um, you know. But again, I interesting take. Um, yeah. You know, I like that it was like brothers that had had this secret and it wasn't, you know, we see a lot of stuff. It, it ends pretty immediately from going into the woods and they've kind of lived with this for 40, 50 years. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I thought it was a valiant effort. It wasn't yeah. wasn't my favorite. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm torn between this and one of the later ones being my least favorite. They're pretty close. It depends on which day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, no, I, th- I think it uh, good effort, but um, it, it to me when I started reading this because I did read them in order, you know, the mm-hmm. one shot, then one through four, that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna take a little bit of a break between issue one and two, and then you know issues two and on, I'm like, okay, I gotta read these quickly. So yeah, I read them in one shot. I just yeah. sat down and read them all back to back, and overall. Like I said at the beginning, it's like even the worst stuff of these is better than like a lot of other stuff. So mm-hmm. I still recommend, we'll recommend all of them, but this is still a good recommend as well. No, I agree. Issue two of the Chronicles line is called The Offering. And um, I really enjoyed this one. I hinted to it beforehand. I like the um, framing device is it's multiple people around Burkittsville now like telling you the story of this family the price family who moved there in 1910 and it's very just interesting how you see the different branching paths this story has taken sometimes that causes a little confusion because they branch off a little bit too far from each other i think but more or less the basic plot is that all the hunters in burkittsville have a thing where they have to do an offering to the blair witch and whether through you know arrogance a mistake or a prank on the Price family, they do not have an offering given to the witch. And now the witch latches on to fucking with this family throughout the winter of 1910. And, you know, you slowly, I love the art in this, where you slowly see they're almost becoming, like, zombie-like. You know, they're, like, starting to smell. They keep having bad luck. And then, you know, it ends with, for whatever reason, whatever actually occurs, the be it cannibalism, the father goes crazy and kills everyone they just die or something they're all dead and the town just says it was influenza and kind of covers it up to the best they can and it's just now the family has entered the folklore of you gotta give an offering no matter what when you go in the woods you gotta give an offering and obviously we see with the movie you know heather josh and mike don't do that so we know what happens when you don't give an offering surprisingly this was my least favorite oh really yeah, and I think it had to do with how the the issue was put together. Um, the consistent splash pages of the each individual folks kind of giving, you know, insight on that. I felt it would have been better to do that in, in one page or two and then just tell the story as it went along. And, and that's a personal preference. I wasn't as engaged with this one, you know, because it was, you know, this family, it was no fault of their own you know someone takes that that spool of thread that was that he left or someone left as an offering for him because he wasn't going to do it um i don't know it just it just didn't it didn't stick with me as as something that i don't don't even want to say fit the the history that you know of the town of burkittsville um i i did enjoy like you said seeing the family kind of have all of this bad luck throughout the years i i did like the 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 panel of him sitting in church and he's got a really ratty suit and he kind of looks like you said like very disheveled and and gaunt you know that's a very good sermon you know sermon minister and just kind of like going through the motions because so much has been happening to him and the town basically shuns them um for all of this um yeah i i think it i think it was the the technical execution of the issue that just kind of kept me from getting into it more yeah and i can see that it's like i said you know there are a couple times where the story diverges too far from people's um different versions so it works when they say okay either you know the guy didn't believe in it and refused to put something down 
or a kid took it or he just plum forgot you know the and the result is something was not put down mm -hmm. for him but later on it's like i think towards the end if i remember i'm remembering correctly and i will admit like some of the technical differences did get to me where they're going on how they were notified to go to the house you know it works okay wolves are like howling outside or just no one's seen it but like one of the versions is well one of the kids showed up and said you have to come and see my family it's like okay well then what happened to that kid like how did that kid then die yeah because you would think if if a kid showed up and said you need to come see my family you would go right away it was really weird that it was one of those i in every other iteration of the blair witch they they usually stay out of the woods and and they're willing to go into those woods where, I mean, I guess they never really divulged on, you know, the townsfolk who've been, you know, living in Burkittsville. Do they hunt in those woods? And, you know, why aren't there more stories of folks not coming back? Cause that would just kind of decimate the population of the town. You know, if they constantly went into the woods and something happened and, you know, every time someone went in, something bad happened. Um, I, I think it was just those combination that just kind of kept me from enjoying it more. But yeah, I can completely see that. And yeah, that is a, going back, you know, an issue I have with um, it as well as, you know, um, how you said, you know, like, okay, well, why this, like, so every time you go in the woods, if you don't do this, so there is a little bit of retconning because when, you know, we see in the original movie, the way I always took it is when you look at um, the timeline of things and they even, the one historian says it and curse like, oh, every 70 or so years, something happens that I think the original implication was the Blair Witch will leave you alone, but like every couple decades she has to feed, has to cause misery versus this is now portraying as you go into the woods, you get messed yeah. up. Um, and yeah. I think that's a symptom of the franchise trying to continue existing that you can't just then be like, okay, well, you can't go too much further back and have settlers. Okay, maybe you can do Native Americans, but how farther back can you go that? Or now do we have to go 70 years into the future every time you want to do it? So yeah, that whole thing of it only happens a few decades has to get thrown out for stuff to continue existing. Yeah, I, I think it depends on, on how far you go in. Are you an outsider? Are you there? You know, what do you believe? Um yeah, I mean, I always took it as, you know, the town of Blair, you know, when you when you watch Curse, you, you got the Bill Barnes, who's the historian. He said, look, this is all the evidence. And I'm and he, he kind of looks at it. It's hard to tell, what, you know, does he believe it or is he just recounting, you know, the, the, the stories that have happened? And, you know, you're right. It's it's every 70 years in the original you know, plotting out of, of this world building that they did was, you know, it averages out about every 70 years. And maybe that's just the big events that they they tie to the Blair Witch that that get that get shared. And there's all these little minor incidents every so many years that, you know, kind of flare up. But, you know, that people either forgot about or don't talk about or believe, well, something happened to them. It could have been the Blair Witch. And we'll talk, you know, we'll, we'll attach the, the Blair Witch curse to, you know, this family's misfortune, but it's a lot of misfortunes for a small town. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like, okay, the two brothers in the previous issue. So two teens disappeared in the woods, you know, and again, you know, and I mentioned this when I was talking with like Ed and then Ben as well, you know, that you could also look at it as, you know, at least in the actual original movie that had they interviewed two other people on the street we would have heard the price story we would have heard the kearney story um that you know it's just these are the handful of people this is their favorite story that the people want to talk about the rustin parr one because it's like oh that's a crazy one or i want to talk about robin weaver and you know they have their 
preferences. And I think as we see with this, like you said, you have the big ones, but then small stuff happens where in the end they cover up the um, family stuff saying, oh, they all died of influenza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that your people might just be retroactively being like, oh, well, you know, that family, they did have a lot of bad luck. Maybe it's the Blair Witch and all that. So that people can be ascribing it. And it's one of these things where... I think us as the audience were supposed to know the witch is real. It's like when I was like saying with the beauty of um, Burkittsville Seven is, it's a straight up documentary about a child murderer and one guy who thinks maybe the one child could have been in on it. I summed it up as, this would be like watching a documentary about Son of Sam, but you know the dog actually did tell him to mm-hmm. kill those people. That we're supposed to read between the lines of everything. That no, there really is a witch on here. So I think that's what we're illustrating. That officially, this family just got the flu and died. Yeah, it, but and we it, know something happened. Well, and like you said, you know, it, you know how complicit is the town in in per- perpetuating this myth and covering it up at the same time? Because they didn't. They just said, okay, influenza. They're like, we need to sweep this one under the rug. This is not a a witch we don't need any more of it and it was enough for them to to kind of say okay let's let's forget this part of our town history and and not attribute it to the werewitch because we've already you know at that point you know there's already been a couple of instances and they didn't want any more you know superstition or whatever um yeah interesting you know addition to the history of burkittsville and in terms of the blair witch world Yeah, so issue three, I, I thought was interesting. It's it's about a coven, and this takes place years before the Blair Witch Project comes out. The head witch of the coven is being interviewed on a TV show, and her coven kind of owns this this occult bookstore, uh, however you want to describe it. It's the bookstore Dan Aykroyd owns in Ghostbusters. Yeah, I thought of that right yeah. away. I thought of it. I was like, raise a cult. <laughs> Um, you're that, the only that, other person who would do make that reference with me. yeah <laughs> no i mean and it was funny because it's like when it pulls from the tv and goes to the bookstore and she answers the phone i was like this is like raise a cult i said like, oh, okay no i picked that up um the the because of the tv show the this coven is contacted to cleanse a property in burkittsville by a developer who is looking to sell the property but i guess believes enough in the legend that they just want to you know have enough good juju on their side to to sell the house and they the the witches kind of question like why are we doing this is this going to be bad for us but they decide to take the job they don't take payment they they donate the money to a battered women's shelter and they go to the house and they're the the issue goes into like how they decide what ritual to use, what tools to use, how they approach it. And they, I I believe it's salt. They do a big salt ring around the house while doing incantations and, and preparation. And, you know, I know in one scene you see a stick figure hanging on the tree that I don't think any of them saw and they do the ritual and they get this big environmental response that they'd never seen before. And as they're, they, they, they don't sleep in the house. They tend to, they, they choose to sleep outside and, the one of the witches has a dream of being uh, taken over by a mob and they're wearing old time clothing and and they wake up and they're like, we need to get out of here. And it progresses to show that over the years, each one of those folks is 
oft basically in in weird accidents, whether it's, you know, hitting a deer, freezing to death in a blizzard, cancer, until we're left with with one witch who basically encircles herself inside her home uh, using these rituals to to hopefully keep her safe. And, and the last panel pulls out, which I thought was really nice. It shows the circle and she's got everything she food and, and whatever inside the circle because she's the last one. I I liked this one. Yeah. I, I thought it was a really interesting take to to pull in the the Wiccan religion and and the effects that you know the Blair Witch would have on them because I know at one point they they showed two of the witches watching the news and it's about the disappearance of Heather Mike and Josh and and how it affected how it affected them so I I didn't know where it was going but it, it kind of uses the same thing where stuff happens years later kind of back to the first issue with the brothers and I first I thought that they were what ended up being that dream sequence when when the mob comes out of the woods I have expected them to be like kind of teleported back in time yeah and 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 these villagers the people of Burkittsville or Blair whatever it would have been saw them as witches because they were you know maybe their car got transported or because of the clothes they were wearing or how they talked uh, I thought that's where they were going with it. And then it was just a dream. And I was like, oh, I, I want to read that one. <laughs> yeah. I kind of wanted to see that. But no, I, I enjoyed this one. Yeah, this was um, my personal favorite, actually. Um, I really liked the whole um, idea of like, this is the only time we've really ever seen anyone nearing what we would imagine as the level of like what's in there going and they just utterly get their asses kicked just as quickly as anyone else it's like i use the analogy this is like watching war of the worlds and you like see like the military go in and immediately get their asses kicked and it's like oh my god like that's a horrifying concept (laughs) um i love the art in this one tom fuller does a great job i love like you said in the last panel or page where she's got everything in the circle, but I love how like she's inadvertently creating like the stick man, like with her shadow. And it just shows it's within the shadow, within the circle that's like, she can't escape it. Like Mm -hmm. it's already within that. It's only a matter of time. Um, And yeah, I found it just very interesting. The idea that, because, and let me get your opinion on this. Um, So yeah, they're obviously lured in with the idea of, Hey, um, can you come and cleanse this house? I like the fact we don't know what the hell happened in this house. That's really damaged. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fucked up shit. We don't know what went on there. It's never explained. I like that. It's just like, again, it goes back to the town, just covers this shit up um, and whatnot. But the guy who hires them is, disappears. Like he's not a real person. And his name is Edward Kelly, which I think is like supposed to mean Kelly, Kelly Edward, Edward, which but I find it re- really weird. And they do that in the next one to get ahead where the person name is named Edwards. And I'm like, they, I think they watched um like son of Dracula or um, monster squad a little too much with, you know, Do- Dr. Alucard or no, Dr. Acula or yeah. Alucard. <laughs> um, and but I just thought it was so weird because fine. The Blair, Witch lures him in, you know, I think it's a little weird that like she's dialing. I can imagine. Okay, fine. She can conjure up that she can call a phone number. I'll believe that. I find it hilarious that the phone's ringing and she's like, Oh shit. I, I didn't come up with a name. Um, um, Edward Kelly. Okay. It comes up with it in the last minute, but I love the fact that they get the payment is sent to the battered women's shelter. I'm like, so wait, she has money that she can somehow send in. And that was just something I just, I kept rereading it thinking like, 
wait, what am I missing here? Because why would the Blair Witch give money? And then I'm like thinking, okay, is it because it's a battered women's shelter that she empathizes with it? But she does kill a lot of women who've done nothing wrong. So that was just like the most bizarre part of me that I, I laid awake at night thinking about that, just staring at the ceiling. Well, I took it as she had someone do that. She kind of, I don't want to say possessed, but she influenced someone to pick up the phone. Your name is Edward Kelly. I need you to do this. You're going to have them, you know, you're going to send the money to a battered women's shelter. So I think she was moving through someone who didn't know it, which is why there was no realtor named that in Maryland. That was, that was my interpretation of how that happened. Um, But I mean, that doesn't mean that, you know, as a, as a spirit ghost demon or whatever, she wouldn't, be aware of technology and seeing how it works and yeah and and having that that foresight to to use a telephone but i think she used someone okay yeah i mean i i can go either way whether she did it or possess someone or whatever but uh, i i just found it funny when i was reading it that oh you know, she's she's gonna murder all these people but she follows through on her deal she's not gonna screw them on payment she's gonna give them cancer and make sure they all die but she, they're getting their payment yeah um but no, i just like this one because like i said it's like this is the first time We've, in theory, seen people not go into the woods woefully unprepared. You know, everyone else, like, as we've seen in all these comics, goes in not believing the legend or whatever, or thinking they know better, and then they get their asses kicked. And it's like, you think, like, okay, maybe are they going to do this? And I think, you know, she lured them in because she, um, the way, the interpretation I got was she knew they were in her orbit. Like, you know, they had never heard of Burkittsville and didn't really know of this, but, like, she was a little worried, like, hey, these powerful people are kind of nearby. I got to get rid of them before they create a problem for me down the Mm -hmm. line. And that there also might be some jealousy on, if we're taking in the um, one shot um, into account, that there might be a little jealousy on Ellie's part that she's like, I'm not even a fucking witch and I get murdered, but these people actually are and they get to go on TV and everything's fine with them. No, screw them. I'm taking them out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, and a lot of folks don't look at it as like Ellie kind of evolves. You know, she if she's such a presence, then she's got to be seeing what's happening, you know, in the town of Burkittsville throughout the years to kind of coordinate her, her efforts to get people in using you know, technology, it'd be like all of a sudden her showing up on zoom and, you know, as a guest and, you know, you know, just uh, like I said, evolving her, her techniques. And yeah, like you said, she was, she wasn't a witch, at least in, in depending on the interpretation, was she a witch or wasn't she a witch? You know, if she takes it, well, I wasn't a witch. And now you folks think I am and you're bringing witches in. Well, I'm just going to do my thing. But I, 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 I like this one. I liked how, you know, she, she offed them over the years in, in, in little accidents. And it's almost like it doesn't, it wouldn't even show up on the town radar because it doesn't technically happen in Burkittsville. And it happened so many years later. And it's almost like no one knew this was happening anyway. Um, I actually, when, when they pull up to the house, I was wondering, I was like, yeah. this would be a really neat tie into the previous episode if it was, or issue if it was the Price House. And I was wondering if it was like the same layout I actually I referenced back to yeah. the second issue. I was like, I wonder if it looks the same because I thought that would have been pretty neat. But I think that that their house was more in town, and this one was kind of like on the edges of the woods. 
Yeah, so that would that definitely I didn't mm-hmm. think about that, but that would have been you know, a good way to tie them. Yeah, theory, even though these are in theory supposed to be 100% standalone. And in thinking back, I'd have to look. I don't even think it could be the um, Kearney Brothers' house. Yeah, it yeah. Was more like no, I, I, house, I would. I'm happy with it either way. It was an it was an enjoyable read, um, using modern yeah. modern witchcraft to, you know, cleanse a house, but it drew them to her. Um, but I just, yeah. And it was, that was probably the only part that was a disconnect for me is she calls up this coven years before they aren't in Burkittsville and she brings them to a house there. So was she bored? Did she, did she just want to cause mischief to, to add to her, her legacy? You know, they, they weren't Burkittsville residents. They weren't seemingly close. They were in Maryland. But, yeah. you know, maybe it was her her appearance on the TV, you know, talking about witchcraft and all that stuff. But that was the only thing that was the only kind of disconnect that I saw with why them. Yeah, I, I took it, like I said, you know, earlier that it's a they do these cleansing rituals to get rid of evil that, you know, it was on her radar. It's like mm-hmm. they're not going to be a problem because how quickly she dispatches them. But she's like, I want to take them out just in case to be the self-preservation. Now, yeah, what, they, you know, they even say, like, yeah. they've done something this big. So I was like, they can't, I can't imagine them going out. You know, <laughs> how much salt would you need to circle the entire force, even if they were able to do it? But it felt like her just kind of, like, taking out any competition or any threats to her power. That she's just like, okay, I got to yeah. do this. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to look at sure it. I just, I was like, well, how would she know about them if she's kind of contained to the Black Hills? you know unless she saw someone watching it you know you could you could go down that rabbit hole you know pretty deep is like well she saw someone watching this tv show from the window in burkittsville and in this and that i didn't want to think too much of it i just enjoyed the story um i i just thought it was a nice spin on on some of the stories that you know ended up being in this universe exactly so yeah, that, like I said, it's my personal favorite, and I think um, we probably, I would have to look at, but probably talk the most of this positive and just like, you know, yeah. any real nitpick we have is just like the, how did she find out? Um, you know, but the rest of it, you know, is solid enough that it's like, if that's the only issue that is with this issue. Um, yeah, and, and I think you know, it's just human nature to find out, like, that. well, how did this make sense? But we're okay with a witch being real. But how did she know someone outside of town was, you know, I, I you know, when when we watch certain movies, yeah. it's like you're OK with werewolves, but not werewolves doing this, you know, or something else. You know, it's like we kind of can't just sit back and enjoy it. We want to dig exactly. a little deeper. But. Yeah, well, it's like when people have problems with like Superman's powers, it's like well, Superman can't do that. It's like, well, you know, Superman can't do anything. He's a fictional character. So it's like. <laughs> But yeah, well, and then going on to the final issue, um, issue four, Fire, the framing device is um, Nathaniel Burkett is a little distressed by the fact that priests and clergy in the town keep getting chased out, that there's something going on. The churches keep getting burned down. So finally, at his wit's end, he sends Reverend Matthew Edwards to the town, you know, and he's a old style, very much fire and brimstone, you know, preacher, you know, very theatrical almost. So he's sent to the town, and he is determined. He's like, I'm going to teach you all. There's nothing to fear out there. 
they're, you're not going to chase me away. I'm not going to give up. You know, he's like, you know, a stern, you know, like stubborn guy. He's like, he's making it his mission to prove there's no Blair Witch that they're, and all that. So they rebuild the church. Weird shit occasionally happens. He's like, I'm not giving up. He's like, you know what? We're all going to go into the woods now. And he give, starts giving a sermon, and we start seeing that the townsfolk are now seeing the sermon as something being twisted and evil. And oh, that now they assume he is the, what's the evil that's come to town. And he is dispatched, much like Ellie Kedward, ends with, you know, Nathaniel Burkett doesn't know any of this. Like, we see it, but he and no one else is aware of it, from what I understand, or how I took it. And, you know, a new preacher is sent, and, you know, life continues on. Um, I thought it was good. I think it's my the second weakest, in my opinion. Like, I, it ties for me with the first one. Because um, my main problem with it is it makes the town complicit. or not, not even complicit. Like, actively taking part in this stuff now. That they're the one who's now actively killing this guy. And I get the implication is they're the ones burning down the churches. The ch various churches. Now, that is interesting that she can control the town. Um, I thought maybe this is going back to the whole previous issue with the Wiccans that the evil in the forest is a little concerned with this guy that like maybe, hey, you're going to convince people that I'm not a problem that I can't feed off of them, that that's the reason why the town is then, you know, stirred up that this is a one-off example. Um, interesting. I like the artwork in it. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was a little weird with the like town like how much involvement they now have um going from we hear the story we know of it to we're active participants in perpetuating it now i no i i get that I, this is one of my favorite ones kind of you know it's kind of funny i took it as the witch is influencing the town to burn the church but they don't know it yeah and you know, when he comes in, he's, he's building the church. He's putting the, you know, the word of God into this town. He gets the church built in four months. I really did enjoy the, the, the turn at the end where he goes into the woods and he's doing the sermon. All of a sudden the town is being influenced by her to see him as a demon or as, as someone bad. And she, she probably sees Reverend Matthews as a threat to to get the town to stop believing in the ghost stories and what had happened in the past you know when they when they basically tie him to the tree and and give him the the ellie kedward treatment i i enjoyed that because it's it seems at the end that they don't know what yeah, they did I, I couldn't tell so i i i think they took it as they didn't know because that would be, like you said, if the whole town was complicit, it kind of puts a damper on the rest of the mythology that the town kind of knew this was happening and some people were influenced and they keep covering it up. I think she was using some sort of, of influence or magic, whatever you want to call it, to, to make this priest look that way. And she kind of put them under a spell and we don't get really any follow-up about how the town dealt with Matthew's Reverend Matthew's disappearance. You know, they just kind of welcome this new preacher in at the end and, you know, they all start going into church and the church is still standing. Um, it would have been neat for them to have a line, you know, about, well, you know, he left, he just, he left us. I think that would have tied it in a little bit more to be a little bit more clear that the town wasn't, 
knowingly doing without the town knowing they knew what they were doing let me put it that way if that makes sense yeah and that's the thing that's why i keep going back and forth because you know we see clearly that they are being influenced to see him as evil so i wasn't sure as she just every now and then will influence however many that she needs to burn it down but they're aware of it because yeah you're right in the last pages they just like welcome the new guy and it's like i was curious as to why now the implication is this is the reverend that finally stuck that you don't now the story is over you don't hear about anything else burning down and i think what would have fixed most of my issues is if they didn't have a series of reverends leave that he's just the reverend that's being sent to the town that there's never been a reverend before like that like yeah this is the early days of burkittsville like being resettled you know formerly blair that this is now the first time that ellie has to deal with someone coming in and actively being like no you're not gonna do this um anymore that that's why she sees the threat and like this is the one time occurrence and then everyone's mind is blank that you're right you know had they been like you know he just disappeared on us or whatever that and then the new priest comes in or whatever whatever term we want to use um comes in and it's just a whatever we'll deal with the ghost stories or whatever but like isn't now a threat to ellie and the woods and all that so i i think mm-hmm. it I, I i definitely like it like i said i don't hate any of these it's just this one felt a little bit like the kearney one we're going like we're not like really sure how to pin down like what we want to do with this one like a hundred percent like they had the idea priest goes in the woods you know and all that but didn't have it fleshed out completely yeah and i took it as you know any sort of town or settlement would have a priest or minister or preacher kind of kind of with them it doesn't seem like you know that you establish a town and you don't have someone there for for worship so i figured that's how i that's how i read into it is that you know you know burkett you know got the town settled and you know every time they get a church built or they start to build it it goes away you know it gets burned down and the preacher leaves and he's finally had it that's how i read into it yeah but i think it would have been just fine if that was the start of the town and you know they're trying to get this town established and this is the first preacher that comes in and he's like i know this this preacher you know we're going to bring him in he's going to help build our church and maybe if stuff happened I, i i didn't really have an issue with this issue no pun intended again, using the word issue a lot. Uh, no, I, I, it was interesting. I, yeah. I, I, my favorite part was that she kind of took over the townsfolk and turned it on the preacher because he was such a threat. And then it was kind of ambiguous at the end. It's like, did they know what they were doing? Or are they covering it up? You know, yeah. I, I like the ambiguity of that. And I think that's why it was, this one with the coven one were my two favorites yeah uh to read yeah and i i, I like the idea like it i think they need to have a maybe smaller part of the town involved like i don't know how they would have justified him only taking like five people out to the woods or whatever but that's where i like you said it taints a little bit that's like okay the town or at least this generation of the town was active participants in killing people versus we've seen the other ones where they're like we just want to keep this shit quiet um that he should have i think been the first because i'm also confused at the end why is there the implication that now the church is fine like we don't hear in any other 
stories afterwards that any other churches have been burned down that it's just like why did we have this problem for so long with several other reverends that we had the main reverend who like dug his heels in and she had to kill to get rid of maybe it's because he was that type of preacher you know maybe you know i I can understand her killing him i I justified that that she wants the religious presence out she keeps chasing the other ones away he digs his heels and she's like okay well we're gonna have to play hardball now it's just weird to me that then the implication is the problem is now solved that the you know the next reverend it's finally sticks where i think it should have been he's the first one to come in and then like a more apathetic less fire and brimstone preacher comes in and mm-hmm. he's fine with him so. yeah he's not trying to change the perception of the blair witch and maybe she did something to the townsfolk where it's not so concerning to them so they don't really bring it up to him yeah. uh and she'll step in if she has to you know but yeah it's it's everyone everyone's interpretation of this world is 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 vastly different on how they take the occurrences that that happened in in blair and burkittsville over the 300 years or so uh since it you know it all started um yeah, it just it's just what story resonates with with each of us as as the reader or the consumer. Um, I, I think I, I enjoy the stories that take place, you know, in the town back in the day more than the modern approaches. Yeah, except the, the coven one I, I, I liked. Um, yeah, like you said, the one with the brothers, I didn't. It, it was good, but I didn't really enjoy it that much. I, I like the older time stuff because it's it kind of. To me, that's where it, it's most effective. Yeah. And, and a lot of those stories about the Blair Witch, you know, from what we learned from 1999, you know, there was only one occurrence in the ni- in the 1900s, in the 20th century, up until Heather, Mike and Josh. And I think it's because people are, are were less dismissive in the olden days. You know, they were more apt to believe there was a witch and everyone you know, that they really interviewed in the movie minus, you know, like the fisherman and obviously the the mom in the movie didn't really believe it, you know, because, you know, modern modern way of thinking is just, oh, that's an old witch tale or that's an old folklore. But when you see the folks that are living it and where it seemed to be, she was more active because they believed in her. Yeah. Um, I, I always like those stories more. Overall, I guess, moving into just conclusions on this, I thought these were you know, I think some of the best, you know, um, like outside of the main canon, you know, that wasn't sanctioned by, you know, Ed and Greg and, you know, Ben and all of like the inner circle that this is start, this marked kind of a demarcation point as, yeah, you get, you, we give you our blessing on this, but like you hear that like their involvement bleeds off, you know, as we go along to the point where it's like, okay, you know, we're making this and like, Hey, we're putting the Blair witch name on it, but like, it's not given the same level of intensity and thought into it. So I think this is a good, you know, aspect of people who were in no way connected to the making of the original movie or curse or Burkittsville seven, et cetera, can still tell very good stories with the Blair witch mythology. And you can create really great stories. You know, sometimes they're not perfect, but even the bad ones are still have some level of interesting things to talk about. Yeah, I, I I enjoy someone who, who wants to take some care in telling a story like this. And like you said, it wasn't one of those, well, we're going to create the story and we're just going to slap a label on it, which they do with a lot of stuff anymore. And it's like, 
it's kind of what my problem was with that the Blair Witch video game that came out. Yeah. To me, it always felt like, well, they had this great concept and they backed into it being a Blair Witch story because there wasn't enough Blair Witching in it for me um, up until the end. It was kind of like they kind of got halfway through and I was like, oh, this could totally be a Blair Witch game. Yeah. And I could be totally wrong. It's just my interpretation of it. That's how I felt with it, too. You know, it, it felt like they had this great idea, this concept. And then someone was like, well, why don't we just do Blair Witch? And they're like, great idea. And they, you know, they they throw up a Burkittsville sign and they they get to the end and it's in this house. Um, I, I enjoy when folks kind of take care and it, it does, you know, the, these were written and made the year the film came out. Like they came out probably the month the film came out. So it, it, you didn't have a lot of folks trying to, to put their own spin on it, to put their own spin on it. They were, they were playing in that sandbox that Ed and Dan and Haxon had created without really probably seeing the film. You know, they probably saw enough, uh, to, to create these. Um, I wouldn't mind more comics taking place in the world of the Blair Witch and, you know, miniseries form six to 10 issues or whatever it is just to kind of flesh some of these stories out. Cause I think being told in one issue kind of leaves a lot on the table. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, a lot of the stuff like with the coven takes place, you know, kind of in the middle, you know, less than a third of the issue kind of takes place, you know, in Burkittsville and, and, and everything. And I'd like to see more of that stuff where maybe more things happen over that night. Yeah, exactly. You know? And for the record, I just looked at my copy of issue four. Um, it says publication date July of two thousand. So okay, I th yeah. okay. I thought I saw it said July of ninety nine. So I could have been wrong. It, it could have been one of one of the earlier issues. Oh, you know what? It might have been the first one. Yeah. The, the just the the aptly titled Blair Witch Project that probably came out in ninety nine, and these came out in two thousand. Yeah, I mean they all have ads for, or at least my versions. Do. I don't know if they're all. Maybe I don't have the first printing. Um, but like it has ads for it just, but it says for the second one, but it doesn't have book of shadows. It doesn't have the poster. It just says BW2. Yes, I did. You're right. I did see some of that. Yeah. So that was, so it I, is I, still early on. And I did see, I think it might've been the first issue, the, the Blair witch project one. I saw an, uh, an ad for, um, stir of echoes, which had come out in the summer of 99. So this must've been the one that, that I was looking at and I must've equated them all. Yeah. It says, yeah. Book of, um, stir of echoes um and the ninth gate winter 99 so this was the one that i read first obviously and it came out in july of 99 so then i must have just equated that with a series of stuff for when the film came yeah. out but you know even to your point still though you know these had to have been printed you know july of 2000 but it's like yeah, they wrote these you know several months before to then get the art done get the printing done so you know the phenomena was still blooming as they were writing so it's I think some of the purest expanded canon we will ever get because it was still written at a time where it's like we don't know the potential of this series we you know it doesn't have we don't have the reverence for it now yeah. where like with the video game where we put like okay let's just slap Blair Witch on a game that takes place in the haunted woods it's like no we you know we have to craft a good story and again you know I love the artwork and even like the covers you know they're all images from the movie yeah pretty yeah saw. pretty much and I always enjoyed that out of them yeah. is you know they didn't try to you know tell you what was inside um I think the cover of number one is my favorite because it's got Chewbacca on it yeah um that's just always been one of my absolute favorite scenes but then I do enjoy uh the third one because it's kind of taking a picture from inside the house 
and and just that that blue coloring on it i i always enjoyed that but the first one's always been my favorite yeah it's it's great you know love blair witch in general obviously we both do so you know this has been great look into it. fortunately um not a lot of other love with blair witch in comics yeah i would have loved to see these this chronicles line like you said continue on maybe we do like a couple you know issue uh, mini arc to do like the coven episodes um stretch out or just like yeah each month or however often they release them is just a new one-shot story and just like these are the different stories you can do with blair witch project yeah it, w- it would be nice to see that happen you know a couple of issues every couple of years you know just diving back into it just to just to kind of keep it fresh i i think you know we've we've said before and i know i've said it you know i think blair witch would live on in in different media uh more so than a than a, a movie or maybe a miniseries and and trying it out in in this day and age with comics or an app or something someone you know Lionsgate decides okay we're going to make a an immersive Blair Witch app where maybe it's a game you know when you and you read files kind of like this hunter hunter killer game that comes out but it's on an app and just different spins on it I I think there's there's room there's room to expand the mythology or tell stories within that world without contradicting the world that that hacks and created because i think they did such a good job that it's kind of led to some of these other you know like the the young adult novels uh that had come out uh which i i have all but man i haven't read them in forever um so that kind of stuff i enjoy probably more so than i ever would being excited about another film so there you have it, um, a very long look into these comics that not many people remember, but they really should, you know, pick it up. I picked mine copies off of eBay a couple of years ago, for like 20 bucks total, so you can get them for a reasonably good price. Thanks again to Matt Blasi for coming on, you know, check out his book. The link will be in the description below, and again, thank you for coming on. No, thank you for having me. This was, this was a fun dive into, you know, an area of the Blair Witch that I don't get into a lot. So it was kind of it was just kind of nice to dive back into that world and and see some new old stuff. And I, I'll never turn down the opportunity to talk more Blair Witch with folks.
side note, I'm going to edit this out, but I was talking, uh, when I did the commentary with Ed, we're starting, I'm like, yeah, we're doing the Book of Shadows commentary, right? And he just laughed and said, like, oh, that, that would be an interesting. <laughs> I'm tempted yeah. to get him and um, Ben, and maybe if you want to come on to like do a um, riffing, like Mystery Science Theater of that one. Right? Oh my God. Yeah, I kind of did that in, in the spring for some folks on the, the Blair Witch Facebook page, because I'm not a fan of the movie. Yeah. And, and, and my, my approach is, is I want every movie to be good and entertaining. Yeah. You know, you, you, it can be a bad movie, but if I'm entertained, then I'm like, you know what? That wasn't so bad. Unfortunately, the sequel was too soon. It was too meta. They tried yeah. too much. And it it, it reeks of being a, a 2000s movie. Oh, for sure. And, and it just kind of falls short in almost every capacity except the soundtrack, which I love. Yeah. And and when I rewatched it, it's probably been about eight months, nine months since I watched it. And again, I don't watch it all that often. Every once in a while, you know, I'll catch a clip here or there. I, I found some things I did like, and then I found other things that I was like, wow, that really bothers me. It yeah. just, it, yeah, a lot of it just takes me out of the movie. And once you take me out of the movie, it's hard to get me back in because it's it, it shows how much you're trying and it's not being effective. And sometimes you don't need to try so hard to to get your point across. Yeah, I think I suppose I just don't have as negative because I find also the history of it. Like you said, like it, I jokingly said when I talked to him, like, yeah, that movie came out like, what, 48 hours after the Sundance premiere? Um, that like, yeah, they rushed that in. And it's like you can tell like they were like, OK, we got to crank this shit out. And, you know, not as much care is given it's like when they show um, my favorite, they, sh they show Jeff in like the electric chair, but it's supposed to be like rust in parts. Like they have him in a modern day jumpsuit. It's like, okay, you know, this took place in the forties though. He wouldn't have been wearing an orange jumpsuit. It's like, you know, it, it seems like they just like got the broad strokes half-assed had the first one playing on the VHS in the background of like, okay, typing the script as it's playing. They're like Heather. Okay. That's a name I heard. Yeah. It, I mean, it was, I think they filmed eight months after Blair, which came out. I think it was filmed in March of 2000. So that means the the script had to be written before the end of 1999, and and you know, and, and to me, I've always said this: it's the case of the studio thinking it knows better than yeah. than a filmmaker, and it's when a studio tries to make a movie, and you kind of see that, in my opinion, you you kind of see that with the Marvel movies. Disney hands the filmmaker uh, like um an outline and says, "These are the rules. Your film has to fit in these parameters." And, and the studio said, oh, we're just going to reference the movie and it's going to be based on the phenomenon. But wait, is it real? You know, is it not? And I wish they would have taken one approach completely the whole way through. Yeah. And it may have been a better movie. But, you know, I've said I've said for years, the Blair Witch Project doesn't lend itself to having sequels. Yeah, it is. It is truly a film that can stand alone and it can have stuff on on the periphery it can have these comic books and movies and and dossiers and and games and all that stuff but to try to make a, a direct sequel especially in the same vein of what made the original so great it it never clicks and we saw that with the 2016 film uh which i know was was pretty divisive as well that you know people didn't like some of the artistic choices that adam and simon made uh, I saw their approach. I en I enjoyed a lot of it. I enjoyed it a lot more than Book of Shadows. And I saw what they were trying to do. It wasn't completely successful, but I don't know if that's more on them or the fact that the sequel came out 17 years later and they didn't really have a, a very 
long build up. I mean, I like what they did at Comic Con, sending folks into a movie called Into the Wood, you know, called The Woods. And when they get there, they're like, "Surprise! It's Blair Witch." Um, you know, I, I I appreciate the attempt. I just don't think it was. It might have been too late, or they didn't build it up long enough, or just everyone this is called the woods and then everyone that went and saw it opening day all of a sudden realized it was the blair witch yeah yeah no, i'm i'm definitely in a minority because i like that better than the original one um, wow I, no i, I wow. wanted to see if your head exploded wow no, no oh okay i was but... gonna say i was like look i don't i don't mind if people say they like something more than this one i i'm i would have been surprised if that's true yeah um but there's nothing wrong with that and i know folks love book of shadows yeah. I just don't like it from a technical standpoint. I don't have any issues with Joe Berlinger or or any of the cast. I just think that the the sum of all the parts w- was less than what could have been. And it's like yeah. if you take this part or this part, this is really good. But when the execution of it just kind of just kind of fell apart, and I think had that movie have not been made, we may have gotten a better sequel or something set in that world, you know, and, and I know Ed and Dan talked for years about doing a prequel or, you know, doing something else. Like it would be great if there was a take on some of these folklores that were tied into the Blair Witch without making a Blair Witch movie. Yeah, that I agree on that. You know, and I mean, I, I enjoyed the 2016. I think it's better than um, Book of Shadows, though. Mm-hmm. Not hard bar to clear, but like, yeah, I mean, there's just a certain feel like you lose the grittiness of it. The fact, like, uh, you know, everyone's got head cams on made it feel a lot like more just like this is a like straight up, you know, movie. You know, the found footage angle seemed to be like lost with it and all that. But I don't know. Like, yeah, I agree with you completely that the peripheral stuff of the comics and all that, you know, it's like what Michael Gale and, um, or, um, sorry. Bob Gale and um, Robert Zemeckis have said about Back to the Future, like, we have the three movies, and then we can do the video games, the comics, and that's it. We're never doing another movie. And it's like, I think when you can focus your energies into that and doing it a different way, you know, versus we're going to try and do another, you know, theatrical movie, that's where I think it can shine. Yeah, I mean, you kind of put yourself in a box for, for 90 minutes or two hours when you try to expand on something that doesn't necessarily need it. And, you know, Blair Witch 2016... By the time it came out, we'd had 16 years of found footage films that have done almost everything there has been been done. And it was, you know, I think partially the the audience was, you know, we're kind of worn out on certain genres for a certain time. You know, when, you know, a monster, you know, is big, you get a lot of werewolf movies for a while. You get a lot of vampire movies or you get zombie movies and you know, found footage tends to come up because it's an easy type of genre to make because we all have cell phones, we all have webcams, there's, you know, security cameras everywhere. So you, it's pretty easy to put a put a movie with a found footage package, but it's hard to really make one that's going to stick. And there's only been a few in the last couple of years that have done it. And, you know, like you said, when you're adding head cams and drones, it, it can really kind of take you out of it because you're doing a lot of cutting you're doing a lot of, you know, you know, now we all have GoPros, so you can put up GoPros around, you know, the woods like they did. And it can sometimes be a little too much. And, you know, I couldn't tell you what a good formula for found footage is anymore. I mean, I don't think I could ever tell you one then, but we know what works. Um, so it's just, it's hard. So I think trying to remake or make a movie in the Blair Witch world as found footage shouldn't happen 
we know it's it's not going to be as as successful but checking taking that idea and putting it in over here and say well let's tell this story that's set. kind of like what um and 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 this might be a bad example but 10 cloverfield lane yeah you know it kind of all of a sudden you're like oh this is a cloverfield movie so i think you could tie it in with another legend without having to hit you over the head with it being the Blair Witch Project. Exactly. Um, so that that would be the type of approach I would like to see if they ever did anything in that world. But video games, books, um, anything like that, I think is a better choice for this type of film. Exactly. But uh, well, well, off from that divergent, I guess this will be a bonus part of the um, video later. But. Uh... <laughs>